I'll do keep uh, that passage open in front of you, and uh, I'm going to ask for the Lord's help as we begin. Heavenly Father, we confess that if we are going to hear your voice this morning, we are fully dependent on your Holy Spirit. So please, won't you pour out your Spirit on us in fullness, that our deaf ears might hear, that our blind eyes might see, and that our dull minds might be gloriously renewed. And we ask it for Christ our Saviour's sake. Amen. Well, regulars will know by now that the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is a powerful challenge for us to be different from the world around us. Uh, In chapter 5, you remember it was a call to be different in our moral conduct. And then last week we saw that we are to be different in our religious practices. Uh, So we might think of ourselves as being religious people, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're following the priorities of God. Jesus says that if you are a real Christian, if you really have been saved by grace, if you really are in the kingdom of God, your focus will be on your Father in heaven rather than on trying to please the people around you. We are not to be hypocrites. Now today and next week we're called to be different in our attitude to possessions. And uh, once again, we're going to find that the teaching of the Lord Jesus is very contemporary indeed. But I want to say up front that I do recognise the sensitivity of speaking about this in Africa. Uh, I caught up on my facts this week, and of the 28 poorest countries in the world, 27 of them are in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, Many of you have first-hand experience of that. You know far more about the experience of poverty and the suffering that goes with it than I will ever know. However, I ask you to consider this. During his life on earth, the Lord Jesus was poor. His disciples were poor. And yet, in spite of their poverty, Jesus wanted them, those poor disciples, to hear this teaching about possessions and money. Because Jesus knew then, as of course he knows this morning, that money has the power, the ability, to capture the heart of rich and poor alike in ways that are spiritually dangerous. Won't you think about this as well? One of the main factors behind poverty in Africa is corruption. You know that perfectly well. Corruption in politics, corruption in business, and let's not forget, corruption in the church, especially amongst those who preach the prosperity gospel. So can I say that whatever our financial circumstances might be this morning, we all need to hear the teaching of the Lord Jesus concerning money and possessions. Now here in the West, I guess there's never been a more materialistic generation than ours. Uh, For many people today, life consists in the pursuit of things. 
Uh, Not so very long ago, uh, a book was published under the title Born to Shop. That, of course, is a terrible lie. No one has ever been born to shop. But sadly, lots and lots of people believe they have. They look to money and possessions for security and happiness. And that's why, of course, the lottery uh, has such a hold over millions and millions of people. Every week they hand over money they can't afford to buy themselves an absolutely minute chance of winning a fortune. And they think to themselves, if only I could win the jackpot, I would be happy. Now, friends, that is the world that you and I are living in as Christian people. And we all know the pressure to conform. It's often a very subtle pressure that is trying to mould us into the thinking of this generation. It's in all the advertisements, isn't it, with their seductive message, insisting that we haven't really lived until we've driven that car, worn those clothes, bought that cell phone. And we hear the voice in our heads urging us to keep up with everybody else. And can I say that in the West, I think Christians have been compromising in this particular area more than any other area. I think we we tend to downplay the teaching of the Bible on possessions. So when the Bible says, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, yep, we can agree with that. We say, yes, those are serious sins, we've got to avoid them. But how easily we forget that the Bible also says, you shall not covet. And we're so quick, aren't we, to excuse that particular sin. Indeed, dare I say that in the West, we don't really think of it as a sin at all. So I think these words of Jesus come with a powerful challenge to all of us here this morning. He's speaking in a very contemporary way about the folly of materialism. That is the theme of this passage, And we'll notice two major points Jesus makes before the application and the really rather uncomfortable choice that he puts before us at the end. And the two points are on the back of your white bulletin and they are these. Number one, materialism does not pay. And second, materialism does not satisfy. So firstly, materialism does not pay. Look with me again, please, at verses 19 to 21. Can we all see verses 19 to 21? Where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the key to understanding that little section is the word treasure. It's describing not what money is, it's describing what we think about it. That's the message of verse 21, isn't it? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our treasure 
is where our heart is. Now last week we remember that we were challenged, weren't we, to examine our hearts. And once again this morning, Jesus is calling us to examine our hearts again. Have I got a heart problem? That is the question Jesus wants me to be asking. And the diagnostic question that Jesus puts before us is, where is your treasure? What are your priorities in life? Um, Are we concerned above all about things on earth or about things in heaven? Because those are the only two options for the investment of our lives. And Jesus pleads with us Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't invest your life here. Don't be a materialist because it doesn't pay. Now I need to say, and we need to be clear about this, that there is nothing wrong with money and possessions in themselves. They are good gifts of a loving creator. The Bible also teaches that uh, we should earn our living so that we can provide for ourselves and our families. So you'll remember, won't you, from the book of Proverbs that the the ant is commended for the way that it stores up food in summer so that it's got something to eat in the winter and give to the rest of his ant family. So saving is a very wise and a very godly discipline. We're also told that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. So can we be clear, please, that Jesus is not here commanding us to immediately go and empty our bank accounts, nor is he telling us to go away and live on bread and water and give away everything else. But what Jesus is doing is pointing out the foolishness of a life devoted to the pursuit of earthly things because they simply won't last. Look again at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why not? Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Now, we try to do all we can, don't we, to escape from the reality that this world actually is passing away. And uh, we've been quite successful at it. Uh, So we've invented mothballs to preserve our clothing. We've invented rust-proof paint. We've invented burglar alarms. And uh, some people will invest in precious metals that don't corrode and they put them in a bank vault. But even precious metals aren't reliable because inflation corrodes their value. And today, thieves aren't really put off by burglar alarms or burglar bars anymore. All material things in this world will pass away. So, you buy a new car, uh, you're so proud of it, but you're terrified of getting even the tiniest scratch on the side panel. But in just a few years, it'll be crushed up and put on the scrap heap. Or what about that smart outfit you bought a couple of weeks ago? In a year or two, you won't want to be seen dead in it. Uh, It'll be totally out of fashion. And uh, you'll take it to the charity shop 
or you'll give it away. And even the house that you live in now, well, it might be home this morning and you might put lots of work into it to look after it. But a hundred years from now, it's going to need so much work doing to it that the new owner will pull it down and start again. The point is that our fight to preserve things on earth is a fight that we're guaranteed to lose. That is inevitable. I think it's always sad when you hear of people who've invested their life savings in a bank or perhaps in a pension fund which subsequently collapses. been quite a few of those over the last few years. But let me ask you, what would you think of the person who invested all of their money in a company that they knew was certain to go into liquidation? What would you think of a person who did that? You would say they were utterly foolish, wouldn't you? But you see, that is what most people are doing with everything that they have. Uh, With their lives, with their energies, with all of their resources, they're pouring it into things that they know deep down inside are not going to last. And Jesus says, quite simply, don't do it. Don't be a fool. Don't be so foolish as to invest in things that aren't going to last. Uh, Rather, invest in the bank of heaven. That's the only safe bank there is. It's the only place where the treasure is absolutely secure. Verse 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I find it rather interesting the way that this passage joins up with the passage we were looking at last week. Do you remember last week we were looking at hypocrisy, weren't we? Hypocrisy in religion. And we saw that hypocrisy is basically worldliness. Why is it that religious hypocrites focus on getting a response from other people in their giving, in their praying and in their fasting? Basically, it's because the hypocrite either doesn't believe in God or thinks that God is so far removed, so distant, not really interested, that there's no point in praying to him or devoting any attention to him whatsoever. So the hypocrite says to himself, I'm not sure God sees when I pray and I'm not sure he really cares. So if I am going to pray, I'm going to make sure that at least you hear me and you are impressed. That is worldliness. It's saying that this world is the only reality that there is. And hypocrisy in religion, listen to this, is very closely connected to hypocrisy in materialism. The hypocrite devotes all of his energies to rewards now, and that's what he or she gets. But it's all that they get. They don't get anything else. So, the hypocrite, the religious hypocrite, and the materialist are very closely connected indeed. In fact, we might say they are first cousins. They might actually be the same person. I mean, think about this. You see, the hypocrite's horizon is limited 
to this world only. That is as far as he or she can see. So, he's a hypocrite in church on Sunday and he's a materialist in the shops on Monday. Now, of course, of course, there is a tiny bit of that to some degree in all of us. But can you see that Jesus is pointing out the foolishness of that kind of life? He's saying materialism doesn't pay, it gives a very limited return that doesn't last, and so instead Jesus pleads with us, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, invest in the bank of heaven where your treasure is secure. Now what does it mean practically? to invest in heaven. Well, in essence, it means living for the future, doesn't it? Make sure your decisions are not governed by the short term, but by the long term. Not by the considerations of this world, which is passing away, but rather by the eternal God and by his eternal kingdom. The kingdom that's already broken into our world in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, if our priority is to do that, if our priority is to live for him, it's going to have huge practical implications. So if, for example, I have the privilege, and I know not many people do, but some of you do, if I have the privilege of choosing between a number of different job opportunities... Surely, the first question I'm going to ask is not which job's going to give me the biggest paycheck or which job is going to make me look the most successful amongst my friends. Rather, I'm going to ask which job will give me, as the person I am, with the particular set of gifts that God has given to me, which job is going to give me the most opportunities to be fruitful in my service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you know, the money I make and the status I might achieve are actually totally insignificant in the light of eternity. A billion years from now, you couldn't care less. And uh, in heaven, you're not going to need any money. Nobody's going to be coming up to you saying, oh, you were the managing director, were you? That's not going to happen. But the fruit of your labour for Christ, well, that lasts forever. And once I am in a job, if I'm living in the light of God's coming kingdom, my priority isn't going to be success at all costs. The fact that I broke the sales record or that I won that new client isn't going to matter at all in the light of eternity. What really matters is how I treat my colleagues at work, whether I'm a man or a woman of integrity, whether I live out my Christian principles at whatever cost, whether I look for opportunities to share my faith with other people. And my attitude to the money that I do earn is going to be strikingly different, isn't it? because I'm not going to use all of it to store up for myself things on earth. So can I say that there is a point where prudent saving, which is a good thing, 
becomes selfish hoarding, which is a bad thing. When a right enjoyment of the good things God has given me becomes an excuse for a life of luxury, as I begin to accumulate far more than I actually need, I become blind to the needs of the people around me, uh, those who are physically starving through lack of food, and those who are spiritually starving because they've never heard the gospel. So there is a massive challenge in this passage for all of us this morning. Am I investing in heaven? Some of you know who I'm talking about, you will have heard of the Duke of Wellington, but one of his biographers discovered one of the Duke of Wellington's old checkbook stubs, and he wrote in the Duke of Wellington's biography, when I saw how he spent his money, I felt I knew the man. It's rather good, isn't it? Now, what would our own bank statements tell other people about us? Where is my treasure? Where is my heart focused? On earth or in heaven? Am I a materialist or am I a Christian? That's the first thing Jesus is saying. Materialism doesn't pay. The second thing he says is materialism does not satisfy. So come with me to verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light within you is darkness. Sorry, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now what is Jesus saying there? Uh, We need to think about this. Well, at one level he's saying that um, a person with eyesight walks in the light, they can see where they're going, but the, the blind person has to walk in darkness with all of the problems associated with that. They've got a totally different quality of life. And it's all caused by one tiny organ, the eye. So, whether the eye is functioning properly or not, has got massive, far-reaching implications. That's pretty obvious. But Jesus wants us to look deeper than that. He wants us to look beyond the very obvious surface meaning of those words. Now, in the context, the I here must stand for the heart. Because Jesus has just said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And our hearts follow our treasure, whether that treasure is on earth or in heaven. We've got to decide where we're going to invest our lives. And Jesus wants us to be in absolutely no doubt at all about the vital significance of that decision. You see, if our hearts are focused on the right place and we invest in heaven, then our eye is good and our lives are flooded with light. But if our hearts are actually truthfully materialistic and fixed on this world, 
then our eye is bad and our lives are full of darkness. We're spiritually blind, in other words. So do you see what Jesus is teaching here? He's saying that the materialistic mindset affects the whole personality and has disastrous spiritual consequences. So for the materialist, you see, life is reduced isn't it, to a never-ending quest for money, for possessions, and the satisfaction that these things can never, never, never buy. The focus is on, on the body, on its, on its needs and comforts, and not on the spirit. And the focus is on things, and it's not on people. And I guess you see that in its most ugly form, in the squabbles that often happen when a member of the family has died and the family gather together for the lawyer to read the will. So somebody has cynically said, where there's a will, there's a crowd. Well, that's true, isn't it? How many families are torn apart in the fight to decide who gets the family treasure? And that kind of greed, you see, is everywhere. The rich striving to get richer, pampering themselves with more and more useless gadgets and luxurious home comforts, absolutely blind to the desperate needs of those who are less fortunate. And there is only one way to describe that, and that is blindness. See, the materialist can't really see beyond the next paycheck. His goal, her goal, is a contented life. But you see, the problem is, it never delivers. So, in one of the shopping malls at Christmas, uh, there was a sign in one of the shop windows. I can't remember what they were trying to sell, but the sign said this, Buy me, I'll change your life. What nonsense. See, the claims that materialism makes are totally bogus and false. Money and possessions can never deliver what they promise. So someone famously said, money can buy libraries, but not wisdom. It will buy a prostitute, but not love. It will buy a suit, but not a physique. It will buy entertainment, but not happiness. Some of you will have heard of the actress Rachel Welsh. She was, a, an act, I guess, a fairly famous actress in the 70s and 80s. And she said, I've acquired everything I ever wanted, but I'm totally miserable. I think it very peculiar that one can acquire wealth and fame, great accomplishment in one's career, beautiful children, a lifestyle that seems terrific, and yet be totally and miserably unhappy. In the West, there's been, of course, a massive increase in personal prosperity in the last few decades. But are people in the West any happier? Good question. This week I came across an organisation I've never heard of, heard of before called, wait for it, the International Congress of Humour. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, they say, and I don't know where they got their statistics, but they say that back in 1950, 
The average man or woman laughed for 18 minutes a day. By the turn of the century, that had fallen to just six minutes. I wonder who had the job of watching and counting. That would have been rather interesting, wouldn't it? In the same article, two experts were consulted. One was a psychologist. He said this, the consensus among psychologists is that we are up to ten times more likely to be depressed today than we were 50 years ago. Ten times more likely. He said materialism has driven us to compare ourselves with each other far more than we used to and we've become, as a result, deeply dissatisfied. Well, of course, we don't need a psychologist to tell us that, do we? Because the Lord Jesus has said it perfectly plainly in his word. It's not just the materialist treasure that corrodes, is it? His heart corrodes as well. Uh, His warped ambitions in life leave him with a bad eye. And that bad eye, in the end, darkens his entire personality. And a relentless pursuit of possessions simply makes us greedy, selfish, and dissatisfied. On the other hand, no one could accuse our divine investment advisor of covering things up in the small print. The Lord Jesus has been absolutely straight with us as he describes the two banks in which we could invest our lives. One of them is secure for eternity. The other pays a tiny dividend, but only for a short time. And after that, the investment is completely worthless. Materialism doesn't pay. Materialism doesn't satisfy. Now, you're ahead of me, I'm sure. Uh, The right response is perfectly obvious, isn't it? Invest everything you've got in the bank of heaven. Live wholeheartedly for God and his kingdom. That is the logical conclusion from this teaching. But isn't it interesting that even though as Christians we know instinctively what is the right thing to do, we hold back. We actually want to hedge our bets. And uh, we think to ourselves, well, you know, it's wise to have a balanced portfolio, isn't it? Yes, of course, we should take the long-term view and invest something in the bank of heaven. I mean, it's good to keep on the right side of God uh, if we possibly can. So it's good, isn't it, to put something into an insurance policy for the future. But we say to ourselves, only a fanatic puts everything there. And we don't want to miss out on the good things of this life. So, isn't it interesting that despite the expert advice of the Lord Jesus, secretly we're inclined to put something in the bank of heaven and something in the bank on earth. God and money. Now notice, please, what the Lord Jesus says about that. He says you can't do it. It's impossible. You actually cannot put something in both. Look again at verse 24. Can we all see verse 24? Very important verse. 
No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, the point is that at the end of the day, the choice is not between two different places to invest. It is a choice between two masters to serve. And Jesus does not say, notice this, he does not say, you should not serve both God and money. He says you can't do it. See, the picture here is not of employment, but of slavery. See, it's perfectly possible, isn't it, to have more than one employer. Probably some of you do. One main employer Monday to Friday, maybe one or two extra employers at the weekend to earn some extra money. So you can have more than one employer. But my dear friend, try as hard as you can, you can't have two masters. You've got to choose between God and money. Uh, those of you who are doing textual criticism will know that the authorised version of this passage talked about a choice between God and mammon. Rather strange word. It actually comes straight out of the Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus would have spoken. And it's one of the few Aramaic words that's come down to us from the Greek New Testament. And essentially, mammon means possessions. It means stuff. Now Jesus, let's be, be clear about this, Jesus is not saying you cannot be a Christian and have possessions. Jesus is not saying that. It is possible to both be a Christian and to be rich. The problem is you can't serve them both. That's the problem. So do you remember that story um, in Mark's Gospel about the encounter Jesus had with the rich young ruler? Uh, he was challenged, wasn't he, by the Lord Jesus to sell everything he had and give to the poor. And you remember that story. He went away sad. Now what was his problem? His problem was not that he had lots of possessions. That was not his problem. His problem was that his possessions had him. Do you understand the difference? You see, he served money. And the command Jesus gave him exposed the true picture. So there's the choice. Who are we going to serve this coming week? Who are we going to serve for the rest of our lives? Will it be God or will it be Mammon. Will it be God or will it be possessions? Uh, are we living for this world and the things in it? Friends, if we are, that is idolatry and we need to confess that before God and we need to ask for his forgiveness because it means that we're living for something other than the one true God who made us and gave us life. And we need to repent of that. I guess most of us here this morning would say, I've already made my choice, I have put my trust in Christ, and I am serving God. But just ask yourself, are you really? Are you really? There are people who go into the ministry for the money. 
not because they want to serve the Lord Jesus. Jesus had more to say about money than practically anything else in the New Testament because he knows just how easily your heart and my heart can be lured away. And you know what? It can be an extremely gradual process. Uh, You might not even notice it's happening to you. But over the years, um, whoever this person is, they, they come to church less and less and you can tell from their conversation over coffee after the service that they are shrinking as a Christian. And the things that they used to perhaps consider as luxuries, they now talk about as necessities. They want far more than their daily bread. Their daily bread's not enough. And they've become obsessed with comfort and security and pleasure. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will, not so much. Now that is a danger for all of us. It's a danger for me and it is a danger for you. And all of us need to listen very carefully to the question that Jesus is asking this morning. Are we serving God or money? Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are indescribably generous and have poured out so many gifts on all of us. But we do pray that we would not live for them, but that we would keep our gratitude and our focus on you and your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to turn from attitudes that we know are wrong and help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.